0: Now, that custom of having a new year, it's kind of a weird thing, I think. It's, it's a little strange. I mean, the strangest thing of all is that ball in New York. What the heck is that thing? You know, I mean, <laughs> Twinkie, 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 10, 9, 8, 7. I mean, it's fun and so on. But, you know, uh, for, for many people, um, you know, New Year's can be sort of different things. For some people, it's an exciting time, and I, I want to give that to you if that's the case. Time for reveling and celebrating uh, new opportunities, a new year. Uh, for other people, it's kind of like, oh, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, I'm supposed to celebrate. That's part of sort of me, you know. Am I supposed to watch the thing on TV? Am I supposed to count down? I, I don't know. And, and for other people, New Year's is a pain. It, it hurts. It, it's kind of like you're supposed to be with somebody special, and maybe you don't have that person in your life, or you don't have that person anymore, and... So New Year's can be kind of a, a weird and painful thing. Where, where, do we, where do we get this thing anyway? Where do we get the idea of marking off time through a year that starts in January anyway? Well, it's interesting to know, calendars have been around since the Neolithic era. That would be since 12,000 years ago, consisting of methods of tracking uh, the cycles of the earth, the moon, and the sun. Now, these days, months, and years, they don't coincide neatly, and so there are those days and weeks or months that are inserted in calendars in order to get the times of the earth and moon and sun all synchronized. Well, the Julian calendar, which we use, which was developed in 45 B.C. under the uh, auspices of Julius Caesar, it simplifies the calculations by simply adding what's called a leap day, every fourth year, and that's kind of weird, too. That won't happen until 2020. Anyway, it's to compensate the fact that we rotate around the sun every 365.24 days. So in a sense, our ways of marking time are fairly arbitrary, particularly assigning January as the start of the new year. If you come from another culture, it may be a completely different time that marks the new year. If you work in business, some, some of you are in companies that start the new year in July due to certain market or sales conditions relative to your product or the service that you have, or in some cases because more accountants are available in June than they are in December. Those of us going to school, we participate in the academic year. It begins in September, ends in May with three months left over, either for uh, goofing off, or for working hard to pay for it all, or to go into summer school. And those associated with the federal government are in a year which began in October in order to give Congress and the White House more time at the end of the summer to come to agreement on a budget, and yet at the end of this calendar year, uh, we're still not in agreement, and the government is in what they call a partial shutdown. So it seems as if the way that we mark time is really arbitrary. And that arbitrary certainly applies to this thing, this weird thing that we do here called daylight savings time. Daylight savings time and standard time. I don't know about you, but it wrecks the lives of children. If you have a child in your life, daylight savings time just messes them up. They're up early or they're up late and they're unhappy. And animals get all wrecked up too. They're coming to the bowl for feeding an hour early or an hour late. And I don't know about you, but this old body is still wrecked by November 4th. I feel like 3 o'clock is actually uh, 2 o'clock, and 4 o'clock is 3 o'clock. I'm still not quite in there yet. Now, this timely invention of daylight savings came in in the First World War. It was adopted by Germany to save energy to power its war machine, and we followed suit in the First World War and in the Second World War, and then it was made permanent in 1964, except in what state? Arizona. Any Arizonans here? You're weird, okay, if you are, because you don't do daylight savings, or maybe you're good because does it save energy? Probably not. It's just one of those things that we do. Even our personal experience of time is variable. If you're really young or in your retirement, you probably have too much of it. You're the kind of people who will say, I'm bored, or what should I do with my life? If you're in the middle, you don't have enough of time. You're stressed. It's like you need 26 hours a day to get everything done. And if you're at the end of your life, time seems to be moving so fast, and you anxiously want more of it. Now, time was invented by God, you know. Since the Bible begins with these words, In the beginning, which is a time statement if ever there was one. But time, you'll notice, really doesn't factor much in Genesis 1, since the days mentioned are clearly not 24 hours. And since God's original design was that people would live with God together in creation forever. No, time really entered human life in God's limiting the span of human existence after our collective fall from grace, when we rebelled against God's plan for eternity. And God put that into place, this span of our life, since God's desired not to have us live forever in an eternity separated from Him, from each other, and from creation our death therefore was not only a punishment for our rebellion the end of days for us but also our death is an opportunity in christ to enter into eternity restored to harmony with god with others and with the universe through the death and resurrection of jesus which we accept by faith and in fact knowing the time that there is a limit to our time on earth, which is something that seems to be unique to humans. Your cat or your dog doesn't, I think, seem to worry about when it's going to die, but we think about that. It was meant, as Psalm 90 says, to teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom and give ourselves back to God. But even for God... Time is sort of relative. As 2 Peter 3, 8 says, one day with God is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. So time is, in a sense, by design, variable or changeable or relative. Now that reality was discovered by Albert Einstein in his theory of relativity, in which time gets warped or bent or changes between two observers, either due to the relative speed of travel or their proximity to a gravitational field. No, eternity was God's original design, life unbounded by time, the unchangeable forever reality of creation and abundant life in God. Now, we tend to think of time as the permanent reality here on earth. And eternity as some kind of ethereal, unattainable, irrelevant reality of heaven. And so we create this huge gap between ourselves and God. With time as one of the many wedge issues that separate us from Him. So as we enter into this new year, what I want to suggest to you today is that God wants eternity. Eternity to become the defining reality of your life and mine. Even your life and mine, which are indeed bounded by time. He desires that you and I and everyone could come to experience eternity as a present-day reality in time. Well, how do we know that's what he wants to do? Well, because eternity has entered into time. We just went through the celebration of Christmas. And some of us are still celebrating it in the 12 days of Christmas. Fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la. Since that story, that reality, is just too good for one day. I mean, you know, all the trees are out in the tree belt now. Get rid of that Christmas tree. No, 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 no. Celebrate it because it's an amazing deal. This idea of God coming into time. Eternity becoming bound by time. Keep on singing those Christmas carols. For in the incarnation... God taking on humanity, Jesus born as a human and yet still God, in the incarnation we see eternity, God coming into time, allowing himself to be limited by time for 33 years in order to save us one and all. As a 17th century poet put it, welcome all wonders in one sight, eternity. Shut in a span, summer in winter, day in night, heaven in earth, and God in man, great little one whose all-embracing birth lifts earth to heaven and stoops heaven to earth. The eternal God coming into a span of time is meant to change everything, and particularly our struggle with, our battle with time god desires us to experience that eternity shut in a span of our life in his eternal present in our present today right now so as we enter into 2019 i'd like to suggest to you some ways in which you can experience more of eternity in the present of your life of the time of your life Now, in the Bible, there are two main words which are translated time. The first is the Greek word for chronos, from which we get the word chronology, the arrangement of events or dates, in a sequence of time. Under this word, the marking out of time, we can develop a new time perspective, having to do with the nature of each day. Now, in Genesis 1, if you remember the story, we read repeatedly there was evening... And there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. Evening and morning, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You go, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense, does it? I don't know about you, but my sense of a day is there's morning and there's evening, right? But God says, no, there was evening and there was morning one day. Now, that could either be one of those little poetic, lovely little devices in the Bible, Or it could be a perspective on time. A clear description of what each and every day that you and I live is all about. These foundational verses seem to be suggesting that each day begins at night. In the evening. And that it goes through the next day and ends at sundown. Now faithful Jews... For faithful Jews, the seventh day, the Sabbath, if you go to Israel, or if you're with an Orthodox or even a conservative Jewish family, it begins in the evening, the Sabbath does, Friday night. And it operates all the way through Saturday afternoon. Now, when you think about the evening, in most cultures, particularly if you've come from another culture, such as we heard about today from Cameroon, what do you think goes on in the evening in most of those cultures? Things like rest, things like reconnecting with family after the day or with friends, and reflecting and talking about what's going on during the day. The evening in most cultures is not a time for work or for toil. It's a time for love and friendship and celebration. Well, to me, that's a little picture of eternity in Christ, in which we will find true rest, We'll find some restful labor that we do but not toil, close relationships with our forever family in Jesus, and telling the stories of life in Him. So what would it be like in 2019 if you and I got a new perspective on time? If we began to reorient our evenings toward a more restful posture, Now, we're told that the way that we engage in all this screen time and all these lights that kind of tell us that we can continue to work and work and work, they're really wrecking up our inward clocks, that when the sun starts to go down biologically and chemically, you start to change and you begin to move towards these things like rest and relationships and reflection. What would it be like in 2019 if you changed your evening posture? and began to move into more of that kind of thing. That would say something about homework, those of you who are younger. That maybe homework is for the afternoon, and the evening is a time to reflect and to digest all that you've been learning in school and other ways. Perhaps in that way, we might experience eternity coming into the present. Now, I'm gonna give you several suggestions, and maybe one of these will be the one that you say, you know, that's something I'm interested in, so don't try to adopt all of this but here's another one under the biblical concept of chronos we're also encouraged to time management having to do with the nature of not a day but of each week in Ephesians 5 Paul says look carefully then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time we are charged by God to live wisely to steward or manage the time that's given to us. And those who make a living out of helping people with time management, they recommend one discipline of all the others that is most helpful in this, and that is to plan on a weekly basis. Each week, you can sit down by yourself or with family or friends to review the week past and to plan out the week to come making sure to invite God into the process so that you may plan your time wisely. Now, Hallie and I do this every week. We used to call it dueling calendars because we hated it. But it was a way in which we could kind of figure out, okay, what are all of us doing? What's going on with the house? What's going on in school? What's going on in our jobs and stuff? And get a picture of what's going on. And also to begin to think, well, when are we going to get some time just to be together? Well, is there going to be a date night in there? Or is there going to be some time just to sit down and visit or to deal with that conversation that we need to have? So perhaps under this rubric of time, you and I can begin to think about managing our time if one day out of the week, and I would recommend, frankly, Sunday night, as the Sabbath draws to a close, Sunday night is a great time to plan out the rest of the week. And, And in so doing, you can begin to experience some of eternity in the presence. But we're also invited to experience a distancing from time, a sort of an ability to kind of put time aside for a bit. Psalm 127.2 describes the spirit of this in almost every age when it says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved rest. When we rise up early or go late to bed due to anxious toil, we are bound by time. We rise up early to face an anxious future, and we go to bed late to compensate for the anxious past in which we didn't get done everything that we thought we had to do. But God's desire, you see, is to give us some distance from time so that we might enter into the rest that we need. As the beloved of God through Jesus Christ, it is our birthright that we can choose to rest, to literally put time to bed, in a siesta or nap during the day, or in a good night's sleep. So many of us in our culture are exhausted, sleep-deprived, and we need to help one another in this. We particularly need to help any amongst us or around us who are single parents because that's the most exhausting lifestyle of all to help them and ourselves to get the rest that our bodies and souls desperately need and to distance ourselves from time that says you got to keep doing you got to keep it you don't have enough time and we need to say no that's a lie God's given us 24 hours and he's given me time to rest and I can make a distance from it in these ways, helping one another to trust God in time, we can find ourselves being set free from the tyranny of time, of chronos. But there's another biblical word for time, the word kairos, which means the right, the critical, or the opportune moment. It's a special time chosen by God in which he specially offers himself in time to us. It's used in the words of St. Paul who said, I tell you, now is the time, the opportune time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Or it's described in the fullness, in this phrase when it says, In the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman so that we might receive adoption as his children. C.S. Lewis describes this in his Screwtape Letters when he speaks of this present, this kairos moments, being those points at which time touches eternity, offering God's freedom and actuality to us. Rather than being endlessly obsessed with the past or preoccupied anxiously with the future, God invites us into those kairos moments in the present moment with him and with others, to rest in Him when it seems like, for a moment, time just kind of flees away. So the Bible offers us some ways that we can access Kairos time. The first and foremost in the Bible is Sabbath time. Throughout the Old Testament, and in the life of Jesus and the followers of His in the New Testament, we notice this principle. Six days you shall labor, and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord God. This is the day, this very day, when we are meant to be liberated from the tyranny of time, past or future, and are meant to be just present to God and to one another in restfulness. Now, if you go back to Genesis later on and look at that description of all the days, every day, days one through six, says there's evening and there's morning a day but the seventh day, it doesn't describe it that way. It's as if the seventh day is really a slice of eternity without day or night. It's beyond time. And so we're encouraged fully to enter into the Sabbath. In our case, Sunday. And given the nature of the day, I would suggest Saturday evening to Sunday evening. This is a day which is meant to be marked by stopping. And that's what the word Sabbath means. To cease, to stop. The merry-go-round of the hours and days and minutes when we're just cranking it out. We do that six days, but then the seventh day, we stop and we rest and we enter into eternity. Engaging in activities which renew us and delight us rather than catching up on last week or trying to get ahead for the week to come. And among them certainly would be this opportunity to gather together here in worship and to meet with others who love Jesus and the fellowship. And then letting the rest of the daylight hours be engaged in the present in which eternity meets in time. Now, we have this countdown clock that we run here before the start of the service. I confess, I don't like it very much because it kind of goes against this eternity thing. But here's a suggestion. As you come here... And you see that clock going down. And this would be for the worship team as well. I want you to think is it a countdown that time is going to stop when it gets to zero. And that after that, for the rest of this day, you have all the time in the world. And just enjoy it. And don't sweat about how long he's speaking and all that kind of stuff or what you've got to get done. This could be a day, the rest of this day, or at least even a portion of it. And it's something you have to work into, but a, a way in which together, helping each other again, working with each other, so that we can really begin to experience eternity in the midst of our week. Another way to enter into eternity with God, on, not on a, just on a weekly basis, but on a daily basis, is what we call quiet time. Particularly in the Psalms and in the New Testament letters, we're encouraged to adopt the custom of Jesus who, as Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still up, still dark, got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This habit of meeting with God before the working part of the day is so that we can bring into that day the rest, the relationships, and the reflection of the evening prior, and can therefore be better prepared to meet God in the present of each workday. Now, notice what Jesus did. He got up. That meant he was sleeping, and he got up a little early. He went to a solitary place. He left the connections with others, including our case, connections electronically with others. He left that beside. And then he prayed. Now, you can do this. You can have a little quiet time each day, perhaps over a cup of coffee or tea with Jesus, where you listen to him in his word and just in perhaps silent prayer, and you talk with him in prayer before you launch into the toilsome part of the day. If you ask us, we'll point you to some guides that can show you how to do this, and it won't take long initially. Even five minutes will mean something, but I guarantee as you get into the habit, you'll find that you want a little more time, 15, 20, maybe even half an hour, just to have that quiet time. Entering into eternity can also happen throughout the day in prayer time, when we pause during the day at selected times to engage with God. In the book of Acts, we read about Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which in that particular case was at three in the afternoon. And we hear of the Gentile, Cornelius, later in the book of Acts, who was in his house praying at a particular time of prayer. This Jewish custom of praying at set hours of the day has been observed by faithful followers of Jesus ever since, particularly in convents and monasteries where bells ring and people gather for prayer. In our house, we have bells that, get, that ring. They ring at 8 in the morning, at noon, 7 at night, and at 9. And they call Hallie and me and anybody else in our house to prayer. But they're also replicated on my smartphone. My smartphone alarms me at those times. And sometimes I'm with somebody and I'll just silence it. But in my mind, as they're continuing to talk, or maybe even <laughs> as I'm talking, I'll go somewhere. Or maybe if this is somebody that I know, I might say, hey, could we just take a moment and just thank God for a minute? And we'll just have a little prayer right there. It, 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 it just is so cool. It's as if God kind of is saying, hello, in the midst of all this time moving on, here I am, Mr. Eternity. Let me give you a little moment of rest right now. I I encourage you, think about that. Just just set a couple of alarms on on your machine or whatever. Or just think about even one, just noontime, noontime, as you're having lunch, not only perhaps saying a prayer, thanking God for the food, but just kind of entering for a moment into the presence of God. Even adopting one of those times could revolutionize your experience of time in your life and of God's eternal presence in it. You see, in all these ways and more, God invites us to let go of the tyranny of time, to enter into eternity, which is no time, when we meet the timeless God face to face, now and forever and ever and ever. Psalm 93 says of God, your throne was established long ago, you are from all eternity. In Revelation 13, verse 8, we're told about the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb who was slain in time from the foundation of the world. Now, those are time bending phrases which signify that God's life and work are not bound by time. Even the death of Jesus, which was enacted at a particular time, almost 2,000, more than 2,000 years ago, was not bound by time, as his death covered the sins of those who lived before his death, at the time of his death, and after his death, even unto the end of the age and back to the beginning of time. You see, God wants us to be ready to meet him in eternity, this kind of no time, by helping us to meet him in the present eternity of the times of life. Now at the end of that chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, which speaks of a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, we read, God has set eternity in the human heart. In your heart and my heart, there is this longing to be set free from time, longing to go back home to eternity to being set free from past and future, and to enter into the present, ultimately the eternal present with God. And so you and I are invited to prepare for eternity, eternal life which is to come. In Psalm 39, as the psalmist tries to watch his ways and keep his tongue from sin, he prays, show me, Lord, my life and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is, recognizing that everything is but a breath, even those who seem secure. St. Paul knew this when he wrote, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. Now in early, earlier generations, it was considered a virtue and a duty for every believer in Jesus Christ to prepare for what they called a holy death. An invitation not to morbid anxiety about when am I going to croak, but a joyful anticipation of being liberated from time into eternity in the fullness of God's present and the embrace of his saints. Now as we've already considered, we're invited to be present to eternity, to prepare for it by being aware that At some point, we are going to enter into it. So we need to learn how to be lighter in time than we are. And so that's how we're invited to be present to eternity, to experience eternity meeting time in the present as we practice the things we've talked about, Sabbath time, quiet time, prayer time, any time. As we heard before, now is the time of God's favor. This very moment, this instant is the time when each of us can enter into a beautiful present moment with God in eternity. And so we are invited to enter into it, into eternity today and forever. We are told by St. Paul that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now that's past tense. That has been done. In the perspective of eternity without time, we are already there. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, but yet we are not there because we are seated in this hard seat right here. It's getting a little harder because I've been talking a long time. But that sense that we are there, he says, we're invited to be seated with Christ today. In eternity he says also since you've been raised with Christ set your hearts on the things above where Christ is we go there in the Holy Spirit throughout our days setting our hearts on him on eternity readying ourselves for the day when we will see him as he is and become as we were always meant to be now we see in a reflection dimly in a, as in a mirror but then we shall see face to face. And oh, what a day that will be. What a day that will be when Jesus Christ comes to take us into eternity, when we will be finally set free forever from the bondage of sin and the bondage of these evil days and are given free reign to enter into the present which encompasses the past and the future as we join in the consummation of all time and glory. We're told in Thessalonians that we'll be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And so, dear friends, in the year ahead, God invites us to meet Him who is eternal in the times, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, and the years of our life, to allow Him to enter into the ordinary of our life just as He entered the ordinary of this world so to make the ordinary extraordinary and to be prepared for eternity a weight of glory beyond all comparison I want to close just with a little reminder of a story from Africa not from Cameroon but this one from Tanzania when Hallie and I visited Africa a friend who lived there said of us in the Western world you people have all the watches, but we have all the time. (laughs) And that's true. We have much to learn about time from other cultures, and we have much to learn about time from God so that we can say and show by our lives to all people, to every nation, to every tribe and language that we have all the time, and by God's grace, we have all eternity. Let's pray.